This is one of those sermons where I'm going to be giving you a whole lot to think about. So it may be one of those that you're going to say, man, am I glad that was recorded because I want to go back and check what he says again. It's also one of those sermons that... that, uh, Back in my younger years, I was known as chicken legs because there were some things that I wouldn't preach on. There were some things that it was like, nah, we're not going to talk about that in church. Um, so this is one of those where I freely tell you I've been doing this for more than 30 years. I can retire. It's okay. Just send me an email. All right. If I've got to be done, I can be done. Because I am going to talk about some things today that are real touchy in our culture right now. So just a just a a disclaimer right here at the beginning of it. Some of you may get very angry at me today and that's okay. (laughs) Jen Mayhall's like, yes, I picked the right Sunday to come. And she always sits right up front so that she can be mad at me to my face. Let me begin. Let me, we're not done today. All right. Talk to me in 20 minutes. All right. Um, We're going to begin today with with one of the very basic stories of Scripture. It's the story of the flood. So with that, you know what we're going to talk about. Made Jay mad already, man. He's out of here. I ain't listening to that flood story, he says. Um, I want to begin with the, the story of the flood. So right away, you know that we're going to talk about something that has to do with an event that destroys the world. Okay, so we're talking about serious stuff here this morning. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, if you go back to that chapter in the Bible, it's the second great rebellion of the world. First great rebellion was the rebellion of Satan. Okay, Satan rebelled against God in the garden. Satan uh, had a job to do, and that was to help Adam and Eve, humanity, that's why Eve was in relationship with him. That's why that, that Eve could be tempted by him. So the first great rebellion started with Satan, one of God's creations, rebelling against God and tempting humanity that he was supposed to be caring for. In that first great rebellion, humanity rebelled. We sinned against God because we listened to Satan. We did what God told us not to do. So Satan rebels and we rebel. First great rebellion. Second great rebellion comes in Genesis, the sixth chapter. And this is where however you read this and however you understand it, and I'm not going to confuse the, the thing with all this strange Old Testament theology stuff. Genesis chapter six, you very clearly get the second great rebellion, which is that the sons of God... That's what Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 talk about. The sons of God, however you understand the sons of God, these would be the creations of God, the sons of God, those which belonged to God. It says they rebelled against God, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, it, it, it lays it out in such a way in chapter 6, all the verses that follow verses 1 through 4, Here's the consequence of that great rebellion. The sons of God rebel against God. And it says before we're done with chapter 6, and the hearts of mankind 
were completely evil. That their intentions were evil. This is that watershed moment in Scripture where God utters these words. Listen to this. I'm sorry I ever created them. Wow. Parents, can you imagine making a statement like that? Maybe you have. <laughs> can you imagine saying about your child, I'm sorry that I ever had you. What would your child have to do for you to say something like that to your child? I can't imagine. I've got to be honest, I can't imagine. What, what that leads us to is the depth of depravity, the depth of the fallen nature of humanity, where God looks at his creation and he says the words, I'm sorry I ever made you. Genesis chapter 6 leaves us in a pretty desperate place. There's nothing good about us. There's nothing good about us in, in Genesis chapter 6. It's the second great rebellion. And there's nothing good about us. So what's God's answer to it? Well, what are you going to do? If, if you are a holy, almighty God that is all-loving, in other words, all-loving isn't what we mean today. All-loving in, in, in a biblical construct doesn't mean I will wrap my arms around you and love you no matter what you do in this world. No, all-loving means that you in, in, in relationship with something wants the very best for who and what that person is. That's what all loving means in a biblical construct. I get it. In today's world, all loving means, well, you don't love me if you don't accept me. Uh, no. Just because God didn't accept the behavior of humanity doesn't mean that God had fundamentally changed his character of being an all-loving God. But what's your response to a world that is absolutely and totally against what you created them to be and what you had hoped for them to be? Well, we get the answer in the sixth chapter of Genesis because in the sixth chapter of Genesis it says God decides to send a flood. And in that flood, he will destroy all of creation. And he will start over. Now what's he going to start over with? Well, Genesis chapter 6 also tells us that there was a man named Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it says Noah was a righteous man in his generation. Now, before you get all impressed with Noah... The bar's not very high. If the world is so evil that God says, I'm sorry that you're... That's the brother I want to be to my parents. To my sibling, for my parents. Because that's the brother where I can say, oh, I'm not him. Okay? Because my mom's like, I'm pulling my hair out with you, Tim. Yeah, well, I'm not Chuck. And my mom goes, well, yeah, that's true. Because you see, Chuck's a whole lot worse. No matter what I do, Chuck's worse. 
Well, that's Noah and the rest of the world. So don't get too impressed with Noah. Remember on the other side of the ark, Noah's going to, as his first act, after he builds an altar and thanks God, is to plant a vineyard, grow grapes, and he has one thought in mind. I'm getting drunk. That's Noah on the other side of the ark. All right? And it says he got so drunk that he passed out and was asleep for hours and hours and hours. So don't confuse, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and in his generation he was considered a righteous man. This is simply a man that God says, I am not going to totally destroy that which I've created. I'm going to give the opportunity for them to restart this. What I want to talk about today, there's, there's the story in a nutshell. So Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. He is a righteous man, which by the way, if you take it back to the ancient Hebrew, uh, symbols and letters that you read from right to left and make no sense to us, but I can memorize them like Anybody can. I mean, we can teach monkeys to memorize. Um, I can memorize the letters and I can tell you what that word means in the ancient Hebrew. What that, what that means there is that Noah had the potential to be what God wanted him to be. When it says, and Noah found grace and was considered a righteous man in his generation, what that means is God saw in Noah the potential to be what it, that gives me great hope. Because that means for me to be righteous doesn't mean that I have to have all my life together. It means all I have to have is the potential within me. My willingness to be what God... Noah was willing to be what God called him to be. That's what it meant for him to be a righteous man. Didn't mean he was making good and right decisions. Didn't mean that at all. It means that he had the potential to make good and right decisions because he was giving himself over to God. And basically, he's the only one in the world that's doing that. So he gets to be on the ark, him and his three kids and his wife. It says nothing about his kids being righteous. They're not necessarily willing. They're just glad that they get to get on this boat when everybody else gets drowned. Okay. This is a message about baptism. That's the story that I want to use to talk about what does it mean in today's message. Last week, it was about the ability of God over chaos in this world, over chaos in your lives, to bring order to it. In baptism, we celebrate the fact that if you give your life to Christ, and I got to tell you that at our 1015 service last week, we did two baptisms. We did two baptisms last week. And it's because at Rooted, uh, at the 1015 service, I had to do all four weeks in one week. All right? Um, which meant at the end of that service, I, I offered anybody who wanted to, to come and remember their baptism with water and for anybody that hadn't been baptized I invited them to be baptized and we had two young people that gave their uh, that were baptized after having given their lives to Christ last week what what we talked about last week was when you have given your life to Christ baptism is that time when Christ can bring order to your life and if you're missing in life 
any sense of peace and order, Christ has the ability to bring order into your life. This week I want to talk about being made clean. Because that's what the floodwaters did. It cleaned up the virus from the world. It's what we do, right? One of the first things that happened, it, it was mind-numbing to me how fast coronavirus took off. I don't know about you guys, but it was mind-numbing to me. Because I remember one week I was being told, you know, you all need to wash your hands. And you all need to be careful if you're sick. Within 15 days, we were talking about a short-term, basically, voluntary quarantine. At the end of 15 days, we were talking about face masks. And guys, we're five months out. And now we're talking about face masks outside too. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I've been through a whirlwind in the last six months. It's all about how do, you, how do you stay clean, how do you get clean? How do you handle a virus? Today, in church, we're going to talk about how do you handle sin. Because that's what this cleanliness is all about. This isn't about a virus. This is about how do we, in a biblical context deal with the fact that as it says in Romans 3.23 all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do you deal with that? Because is that not the same construct as the virus that we're dealing with today? You can't escape it. You can't escape it. The virus is going to get you. Because it's real in the world. Sin is going to get you. Because it's real in the world. Either that or you have to be a denier. Well, I don't believe there's a virus. Really? No, there is a virus. And it is deadly. Depending on your expert, they'll tell you how deadly. And everything that we're doing in culture right now is, is driven towards how do we mitigate, you know what that means, that means how do we lessen the impact of, how do we mitigate the spread and the effect of this virus onto people. When people have it, how do we cure them of it? Do we just build up an immunity to it? Is that what we do for sin? Well, you just build up an immunity to sin. Here's the part that can get me fired. Okay, I'm going to give you 15 seconds. I want to hear that stuff. We're going to, I'm going to talk about racism. You got 15 seconds if you don't want to hear what I have to say about this. 15 seconds, all right? Turn your computers off. All right, that's enough. 
here's my fundamental problem with where we're at right now. I've read all the books. Preached on this a few weeks ago and told you my definition. Not going over that stuff again. So I've read all the books. I've had the conversations. I've been out to dinner. I'm here. All right? You can accuse me of white fragility if you want, but I'm not buying it. Our current conversation about racism in America goes something like this. If you're white, you're racist. Now, that sounds very much like what the church did for a long, long time. If you're human, you're what? Sinful. There is a basic consequence of just being human in this world. You're a sinner. By virtue of the fact that you were born into this world, you are just a sinner. And you are just evil. Okay, now here's the problem with that. Two things. Number one, if you're going to say that by virtue of the fact that somebody is just a human, pay attention to me, please. This is fundamental stuff in life. Certainly it's fundamental stuff in faith. If you're going to make the claim that just because somebody's human, they are sinful and they are evil. All right? Original sin. We've heard this for years. There has to be something to compare that to, doesn't there? How do you know that you're absolutely evil if there is not an absolute good? Is my logic sound? Is that reasonable? In order for there to be an absolute evil, there must be an absolute good. Now, in the Bible, we claim that that absolute good is God himself. So, evil is evil only in relation not to other people because nobody, no person is absolute. Amen? Amen. I need to be argued with if you don't believe my statement that says nobody is absolute. Because if you think any person that has ever lived in this world with the exception of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to get to him, if you think any person that ever lived in this world is the absolute epitome of anything, I would like to hear that argument. Because people are not absolute by our very nature. We are some of this and some of that. Therefore, in order for us to talk about absolute evil or evil in any way, we must have the absolute on the other side. Otherwise, none of this conversation about, well, I'm kind of evil, well, this is kind of wrong, well, this is kind of evil, none of that makes any sense. Ours is God. Absolutely good. Now, how do we know God? Well, in in traditional ways, we have always said that we know God by this book. So, God is absolutely good in relation to what this book says about Him. There's nothing else we can do with that. Otherwise, we get to define absolute good, and God gets to be absolutely good, once again, based on human ideas, all right? Enough of that because now your brain is to the point of, okay, I don't understand where he's going with this. 
God is absolutely good, and the Bible tells us that God is absolutely good, and that is our plumb line. You know what that is? That's the thing you put in a house that tells you when something's absolutely up and down. God is the absolute. Now, back to racism. Because my fundamental problem is, by virtue of the fact that I am white, in the modern day conversation that we're having, and this is my problem with it, I am racist. So, the only baseline for me being a racist in this world, and by the way, if I don't accept that, then that is proof that I am racist. Do you see the circular logic there? I can't escape it. It's the same thing the church did. If you deny that you're sinful, then that just proves that you're sinful. That's no answer. That's not an answer. Church, we didn't do a good job explaining sin to people. We didn't do a good job of helping people understand what it means to be sinful in this world. Our argument was for the world, and the world rejected this. The world says that doesn't make any sense. And here's the reason it doesn't make any sense. I don't have a way out of racism. Do you understand where that leaves me? In the circular argument that says... I am a racist by virtue of the fact that I am white. Can I tell you that I cannot change the pigment of my skin? It's impossible for me to do that. Therefore, I have no escape. It would be akin to the church having said this. You are sinful and there is no escape from that. So you just better deal with it. And here's what you need to do because you're just sinful. And folks, that's the way we have taught in the church this idea of evil and sin. Well, Tim, you're evil and there's nothing that can be done about that. But that's not the teaching of the church. The teaching of the church is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. But if you follow that Romans road, what you get is, but the gift of God is His Son, and through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, you can be washed. You can be made clean. If somebody wants to have a conversation with me that says, Tim, you have acted in racist ways. And here's the way out of that. I'll hold my hand up and say, have that conversation with me because I want to know where it is you have felt oppressed by me. And I want to work very hard not to do that again. Okay, Have that conversation with me because I am very willing to be washed. But don't tell me. But don't tell me that I'm sinful. Don't tell me that I'm evil. And that once again the only recourse of God was to destroy me from the face of the earth. Because God told me in the seventh chapter of Genesis, after all was said and done, I will never do this again. 
and he put a rainbow in the sky. I like your face mask. It's a rainbow face mask over here. Because God put a rainbow in the sky, and and in that rainbow, what he said is, okay, folks, I'm going to make a promise to you. We're going to work through this in the future. Now, why did he do that? Because God knows. That's one of the other things we say about God, right? All-knowing. God knows what's coming. He knows that we're going to sin again. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows it. And remember, all-loving means that he is intent on bringing to us the very best that he can for us. And so he's going to send us Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And, and can I remind you that in the New Testament, we're going to see Peter before Jesus, and Jesus is going to take the robe and he's going to off of his, his waist, and he's going to pick up a towel, and he's going to kneel before Peter's feet with, with a basin of water, and he's going to start to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's going to say, Lord, you don't wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, you don't understand, Peter. If I don't get to wash your feet, then, then you can't have any part of me. In other words, Christ has to be the one to make us clean. That's what has to happen. And it is a remedy for sin we are not trapped in a world in which we have no hope and brothers and sisters water is the sign of that hope and baptism is the place that we bring that about okay baptism is the place in four weeks when I say would you like to be baptized if you've never been would you like to remember your baptism which we will do with water and I will just have some water I will put it on your head and I will say to you the words of remember your baptism and if you feel on that day a need to do that maybe you don't feel the need my life isn't very chaotic right now boy I've got this in order this in order and this is order but you know something's been bugging me forever it's that thing that has gnawed at me forever it's the thing that I haven't been able to let go it's the thing that I haven't been able to make clean and you know if you were baptized at some point and you came up out of the water if it was by immersion and I remember that day that I came up out of the water and I thought boy my relationship is fresh and new with Christ but you know what happened the next day I blew it and can I tell you that it's very difficult then for every day after that when I go to Christ and I say Lord I'm sorry I'm sorry that I've sinned against you I'm sorry that I have sinned against my fellow man can I tell you that I just kind of carry residue from those things that I've done I don't feel righteous I don't feel holy not the way I did when I came up out of that water right Anybody that's been baptized, that first thing was, it's okay now, right? Can I tell you that there are a lot of days after that that I don't feel like it's okay because I have carried in me the things that I've done against God. I've carried in me the things that I've done against my fellow man. And I know that there is only one man in this world that we can say, he never sinned. That's Jesus Christ. How in the world do we say that? Here's a man that never sinned. How do we say that? Let me tell you what I believe about that. Send me an email and argue with me. Call me. Come into my office. I'm happy to have the conversation. He had an advantage. I'll tell you the advantage he had. 
He was not only fully human, he was also fully God. Which means he recognized sin for what it was. You know what an advantage that would be? Now, it wouldn't help me any. Because I have recognized sin in my life many times, and guess what I did? Yeah, I still ate that piece of cake. I still said that thing. I still acted that way, and I recognized what I was doing, and can I tell you I wanted to do it? That's me consciously sinning, and boy, have I had to repent of those things in my life. But can I tell you, there are a whole bunch of things in my life that blindsided me. It was like, holy cow, I didn't know I did that. And after the fact, I'm repenting of something. You see, I got to deal with both of those things. Do you know what an advantage it was for Christ to recognize sin for what it was? Now here's where he didn't get any, he, he didn't get any advantage on us in this. He was fully human. That means when he recognized it, he refused to give in to it. There's the miracle. So advantage on one side, disadvantage on the other. Because he didn't get to make one mistake. And he didn't. He didn't. As a man that lived in this world, Jesus Christ can be the only human that has ever lived in this world that when confronted with sin... Don't care what the sin was. He never gave in to it. Never. But us, Romans 3.23 is right. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God because none of us have done that. So we're all caught. We're all caught with dealing with sin. And, and some of us, me included, have been carrying for a lot of our lives this idea what do I have to do to be right? You see, that's me in our conversation with racism. Help me with this. I want to be helped. Because I'm being given no hope in our current conversation. Because in the current conversation, I have no way out. And I'm telling you, move away from that conversation and now into the conversation of our faith. And let's understand that that's not the place that God left us. God did not leave us in a place that said, we are sinful and there is no hope for us. Because the hope is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is the being made clean. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have two weeks of baptism behind us. And the first is you bringing order to the chaos in our lives. And so, Lord, I continue to pray for those who might feel that their lives are chaotic right now and they need some order. But, Lord, I also pray for those who feel that they may be trapped. They may be trapped in this world and the sin of this world and the understanding of evil in this world. Help us with the ability to express your love towards us. That while we are yet sinners, while we're trapped in, in this uncleanness of this world, that you have given us this sign of the water. That in a baptism or in the remembrance of our baptism, that Lord, 
we can have a release of our souls to the reality and the burden of sin. So Lord, come into our hearts. Help us to truly wrestle with and deal with sin, whether it's racism, whether it's bigotry, whether it's gluttony or anger, whatever the sin is in our lives that have us trapped. Lord, send us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lead us into greater understanding, but also into greater action. This I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stand. I'd love to leave you with a blessing, and I'd love to hear from you this week, whether it's online or whether it's you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God is good, and all the time. Go in peace. Have a great week, everybody. God bless. God bless.